Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Pipeline Superheroes podcast. I'm Grant Cohen, joined as always by Keegan Slattery. Oh, hey there. And today we have Frank Wander, CEO and founder of People Productive Inc., uh, a human performance hey, platform. Frank, how are you doing today? I'm super. Not a superhero, but I'm super. I'll leave it there. <laughs> well, we'll be able to judge that by the end of the podcast. But um, tell us what a human performance platform is. I, it sounds like something that is designed to have Olympians uh, run faster, but I don't think that's actually what it is. So tell us about that. Yeah, it's essentially, you know, over time, you know, in the industrial humans got dehumanized. They were turned into just interchangeable parts to be thrown on an assembly line. And, you know, as I was working in IT, doing turnarounds at various, you know, companies, mostly Fortune 250s, uh, I became very aware and sensitive to how profound real high aptitude talent is. And, you know, we came out of a world where humans were expenses, they weren't assets, these were absolutely assets. And if you create an environment where they could blossom and really perform, then you had an environment where um, you know, people gave their best, but they didn't get burnt out. So you see on our platform, it's, you know, how to create a company or organization outperforms without burning people out. When it's intrinsic motivation and people are really in an environment where they feel valued, they give their best, where they're collaborating in a very deep, natural way, that's an incredible workplace. That is really kind of the digital era factory of the future where the human infrastructure is outperforming because the people who run the organization understand the human factors of leadership, they can apply them and create an absolutely great culture. And so mm -hmm. that's ultimately why I got into business. I wrote a book, Transforming IT Culture, and said, you know what, this is the biggest blind spot in the world. Everybody knows everything about their technology and every business process. They know their budget, they can talk about their numbers, they know nothing about the human side of business. Um, and that's been getting illuminated for years. You know, the blind spots disappearing and it's becoming ever more important as the days and years go by that companies treat people as assets, not expenses. Yeah, absolutely. I, I love this concept, Frank. Um, I'm, I'm really curious. There's a lot. I think you notice a lot, especially on LinkedIn, where there's a lot of self-promotion. Yeah. People giving a lot of like lip service to how important the human infrastructure is. Yep. Um, where do you see, like, especially in the modern, you know, distributed workplace with remote work, where do you kind of see some of the biggest gaps are right now? Like, what are a lot of these people who are giving lip service to, we really care about our people, you know, what are they really missing? Well, they're missing being sincere and authentic about caring about people. Uh, they're missing making that an absolute priority, create an environment where their leaders sincerely care about the people. They're vulnerable enough to admit that they really don't know a lot about it. And they're willing to learn and go on a journey to become a very human leader. You know, people have talked about servant leaders over the years. And I think that is the model ultimately, but I don't see that really out there. I mean, most yeah. people in self-service, they're not in the service of others. And they'll never be a servant leader unless they care about the people enough to inquire, hey, you know, tell me about yourself. Who are you? Let me get to know you. And this is what's missing. You know, you talk about remote work, this hybrid world of work. You know, they, you know, the social scientists have studied it, you know, the amount of cohesion or connection these people have who've joined companies that are purely remote. They're just completely disconnected. They never feel part of the fabric of the place. 
And, you know, people who were there before COVID had relationships, sure, they're faring better, but companies don't know how to lead from anywhere. That's the problem. You know, you can give, you can talk about it all you want. We're going to create this great workplace. Well, how do you lead from anywhere? How do you take these distributed people and create a cohesive team? How do you build relationships? How do you have meetings where people share who they are and really talk about themselves and their journey? So there's all these connection points are illuminated that other people can connect to. They don't do that. So I think it is lip service. Mm-hmm. I, I, also f- I also find that a lot of like management training, especially in organizations that aren't huge, comes from the individual. Like you'll see folks with like the classic Harvard Business School books on management and emotional intelligence. And that's like an individual node of, you know, what is managing folks? What is like actually turning into a leader versus what I believe you're trying to build, which is a platform for this, which is like less of a, like more of a tops down way. So like, what was like the big change for you where you realized, you know, there, there needs to be more of a platform rather than relying on, you know, certain individuals to take this on their own? Yeah. I mean, Grant, great question, because it has always been individuals that cared about this, who made the difference. And, you know, when I was running these turnarounds of IT divisions, I realized that, you know, we could monitor everything. There was a tool to monitor every server. We were monitoring the network. Uh, There was a building management system that even monitored the elevators and launched an alert if an elevator stopped working. But, you know, if somebody came in and, you know, they were having a really bad day or they were on a team that was underperforming, there was no monitoring. You couldn't monitor mm-hmm. the human infrastructure. You could monitor everything but that. And it's because humans were parts. Look at what a human resource information system was. It's a parts inventory. Come on, who are we kidding? It's here's your employee ID number. That's a part number. Uh, when was the part acquired? Where's the part located? Is the part working well? You know, performance review. It's just, it's that old antiquated humans are parts. We're going to use them as parts human resources, they're finally moving to chief people officer, you know, we see the world slowly migrating painfully to humans are not parts, they're assets, but the systems to really grow and manage assets, human assets don't exist. And that's fundamentally, you know, what we're working on. You know, humans are assets, they should be treated that way. There's just no question about it. I love that parallel. That makes so much sense to me, the way you explain it too, of, you know, we're just checking the status of the part. Has the part, you know, been working right. efficiently over time? Nope, it hasn't. Mm, time to get rid of that part and bring a new part in. Let's uh, get a new part. Right. Exactly. That's a pretty amazing analogy. And it really lines yeah. up well. Yeah. Employment is will. We'll keep this part at will. We could throw that part out if we don't want it, you know? Yeah. I mean, the reality uh-huh. is that's the whole mindset. It is what happened. That's how we got here. Mm-hmm. Shame is that if you go back and look at the pre-industrial, which I did, you had craft shops. They were very informal, this notion of a corporation and this top-down hierarchical management and control and all these systems to control everything. None of that existed. It was very informal. You know, these craft shops weren't big. People might be drinking, you know, a tankard of ale at the place with some friends. You know, they'd hang out. Yeah, people would love to work in those environments, but it's slowly heading back to that. We're going from this humans are interchangeable parts to an era where it's craftspeople. But instead of me being a craftsperson working at a bench, making something, it's collaborative craftsmanship and it's digital, it's not physical. And people are crafting these new realities, working together. 
So, you know, we're heading back to a craftsperson era. And the difference being it's going to be collaborative craftsmanship, you know, digital tools to make things, 3D printers, and, uh, you know, creating environments where people are cohesive, they work well together, they really find a lot of meaning in the work, they're motivated. Um, that's 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 where this ends up. It's just a long process to get there, longer than I thought. I thought this would just explode and, you know, the world would change very quickly. You know, and hybrid, uh, hybrid world of work, I think, has shined a light on a lot of the flaws in the way people lead and the fact they never built great cultures. They talk about it. They don't embrace it as a discipline. And they're not really trying to build, in reality, environments where the leaders are the servants and the workers are assets that are performing. I mean, that's mm -hmm. that's the end point of this whole thing. There's no question that's where this ends up. Mm -hmm. And I do find like, it's obviously far from perfect, but like COVID has definitely accelerated this, that folks, you know, especially with the tech culture in mind are switching yeah. jobs and staying at the same organization less long than they used to. And I yeah. think that that's really positive um, for some folks, especially when what you're really trying to do to your point about culture and craftsmanship is find an organization, a product, a role that a product or service that fits your personality and your values. And I mm -hmm. find that like the best companies are really good at that. And all that changes over time. Like, you know, to use a on the nose example, you have the change of Apple where Apple used to be this, you know, innovative company, yeah. not to say it's not innovative anymore, where the CEO, you know, didn't wear shoes around the office. And now they're in the news because they charge 30% on all app store, uh, purchases and that seemed like this big gatekeeper, big business yeah. thing, which was totally antithetical to that. So I guess what I, I would be curious to know is like, okay, if I'm someone who joins an organization, especially a growing organization is more people do that. They join startups writ large. How do I know that the culture will evolve with me and how do I make sure that I evolve with the culture and how can someone use people productive to sort of map along with that? Well, you know, in terms of finding your ultimate job, you know, we're really not a company that's out there identifying like Glassdoor, great places to work. You know, that's a different business model. But I think if you're going to go to work somewhere, you know, all the dirty clothing is hanging on the line in front of the company. There's plenty of places to get information about the real internal culture. People are connected on LinkedIn to lots of people. You can go to Glassdoor, any of these sites, you can get information. You could see who do you know that's connected to the company, find somebody who worked there talk to them. I would do your research because there really, there are good companies, you know, out there without a doubt. And I think it, you know, little research will get you in a place uh, that you might really want to put down roots and stay at. And companies mm -hmm. should want people to put down roots because when you look at the cost of competency, some of these jobs are very complex you got to really navigate the place. You're working on teams. You got to build all those relationships. That's called social capital. There's all that institutional knowledge, which is knowledge capital. You got to acquire all that, all that learning on the job. You got to become part of the fabric. And the cost of you becoming an important thread to the company in a piece of fabric, that's a lot of money the company's invested. And, you know, they don't keep track of any of this. Um, we look at the cost of turnover for companies. And, you know, you find like one company we work with on the sales side, uh, you know, we put the whole model together. The cost of losing uh, the cost of a bad hire or losing a good person was 350, much more on a good hire.
but the cost of a bad hire was $350,000. Just think about that. Because you had six months when the person was underperforming, right? So they're producing half what they would have. The replacement's producing half for them getting up to speed, which was six months. So you had a year of half production. You had the cost of the acquisition, you know, the advertising, all the interviews, the number of people have to go in. You had the mentoring cost, the amount of time the boss spent with the person every month that, you know, investing their time and energy in the wrong person, basically. Uh, So, you know, now you take a great person who gets up to speed quicker, who's part of the fabric that ends up not being happy and leaves. Just look at that cost of turnover. That person's going to cost you half a million. There was one one example, we partnered with a company called uh, Sandler, one of the franchisees there. And one guy, he was training, called him, sales guy, and called him on a Saturday, my buddy, and said, yeah, I got to let you know, I'm, I'm resigning Monday. I can't take this place. He goes, my God, you're the number one producer. What are you leaving for? You're making a fortune. He goes, I have so many ideas. I make suggestions all the time. No one ever listens to me. So that's called influence. Certain people who have high achievement needs, you know, they need influence. And, you know, the the people who ran the place just ignored everything the guy said. He went to another company. One year later, he was 16 million in sales. The number two guy at the company was 5 million. That's how good this guy was. So what was the cost of turnover to them? Because they really didn't listen to the guy. They didn't understand him. They didn't act on his ideas. They never sat him down once and said, hey, let's do a let's do a stay interview. You know, hey, you're happy. How's it going? What pisses you off about the place? If you were going to leave, what would it be that would make you want to get out of here? You know, so nobody did the basics. Right. If you got your number one guy, they never even sat down to check out if this dude's happy. All they had to do was, you know, take some probably great ideas and act on them, maybe motivate him to help do it. I don't know. But that guy could still be working there. So. You know, our companies really, really, you know, walk in the talk when they talk about we're going to be a place that cares about people and builds great cultures. No, they were focused on the numbers, you know. How many prospecting calls did you make? You know, how many accounts are you visiting? You know, what's your forecast? You know, I'm sure every call or every meeting was about the numbers, not about him personally and what he wanted. So it's a, I think it's a great example of what goes on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it sounds like that's like sort of penny wise, pound foolish with how you engage with foundational members of the team. That that's very interesting. And then would also love to hear how you've been able to grow with people productive. Like what's worked? I mean, we talked a lot about some of these pain points of burning people out, you know, losing great culture, not having or losing great employees, not having a culture where leaders can be effective. But like what works in terms of messaging and growth for people productive as you look for new customers? Well, you know, I think two things in particular, we have to, you know, try to exploit gaps in the market. And, you know, companies in general uh, have been using engagement solutions, which quite frankly, they provide very valuable data, but they don't actually result in cultures becoming better because they don't drive transformational change. And, you know, the net result was these became very popular you know, companies take those engagement numbers and, you know, they tell the board every year, hey, here is our level of employee engagement. This is what it's at. Um, So we have to find customers that want to go beyond that, who actually care enough to drive change. And 
There are many companies where, you know, hey, we've been running this for 10 years. No, no, we got a solution. We're happy. But, you know, hey, wait, is you, are you able to improve the business? No, no, we like our engagement solution. That's okay. You know, that's not an ideal customer. It always comes down to this ideal client profile. And that's a company where either they're in a lot of pain because they have a lot of turnover and they got to do something. Or you have leaders who really want to build their leadership bench and grow their leaders and we provide solutions that can help them do these things. And those turn out to be good prospects. Um, you know, there's, I'd love to find a way to just find them. You know, you've got to constantly do prospecting to try to find people like that. You know, I was talking to one guy and uh, they provided a tool to sheet metal manufacturers that would help them save or cut 20% of waste as they cut stuff to build these big ducks. And so it was a new tool and I was like, God, how lucky you go to the, you go look online, sheet metal manufacturers, you know, your targets, you know what I mean? You can find them. We've got to go find people who care about other humans or have so much pain. So it's a matter of, you know, putting videos out and, you know, trying to find people who, you know, what we do resonates with them because there's no blinking sign saying we care about people. We're looking for tools for human performance. So that's always only. <laughs> yeah. Um, so what, what have you found has kind of been your most successful outlet so far? Has it really just been putting out really um, relatable content and hoping that the right people sort of see it and saying people who are in this position will see this, recognize this and reach out on their own? Has that mm -hmm. kind of been the, the overall strategy so far? Or do you have target lists that you're actively reaching out to? Well, we have both. We do do uh, email marketing, which I think has gotten extremely crowded. Everybody's running HubSpot or has a third-party vendor. And I think every email box is just overloaded with people with these offers. And, you know, it's interesting. I get so many. Sometimes I respond like unsubscribe and I'll get back some weird reply that, you know, you can see an automated tool has no clue what it's doing. And it's, you know, sending me back a message like, oh, thanks for replying. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> You know, I mean, that's the world we've ended up in. There's just so much noise. So uh, email marketing, we do that. That has some, we get some traction with that. Mostly been through, you know, going into, you know, groups of CHROs or other organizations, networking, meeting people and, you know, getting referrals and leads that way. Be honest with you. Interesting. I think my, my former employer would call that uh, dark social. That, <laughs> that it's very much a, it's very hard to measure because it is all the connections that you have behind the scenes. Like you said, in LinkedIn groups, in you know Slack channels of other CEOs, referrals from other friends, that's where a lot of this discussion and referral and things like that take place. Um, and the only way to be part of that conversation is to either have clients who are referring you there or to be putting out excellent content that people are sharing and saying, wow, yeah. I really relate with you know uh, the way Frank talks about this particular point here you know, and brings it up in their circle as like an educative Educate, uh, educational uh, bit yeah. to share with everybody. Um, that's what we really found with a lot of our clients is content marketing yeah. and making really relatable posts that help and are a little bit contrarian, right? Like that's kind yeah. of the, the, the best way to really get in front of folks is challenging the status quo, which is you're doing lip service over here about people, but you're not actually walking the walk. Yeah, I think you're on the money. I mean, that con that powerful content does work. It absolutely does work. There's no question. And I never heard the term dark social. I'm going to reuse that if you don't mind. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Hegan's bringing you to the dark side. Um, <laughs> That's right. So I want, to be, I want to be mindful of time as we wrap up here. Is there anything you're looking for uh, from a, 
like a perspective of like potential customers, like how can people find you? And if there's any, uh, anyone you're looking to hire as well, we have a lot of folks in our network that are looking for roles from, you know, at innovative companies like people productive. Yeah. Um, in terms of people want to find us, you know, peopleproductive.com. I think the website's pretty clear. You know, we're on like the sixth generation of the website, you know, yeah. <laughs> trying to get that value prop. Correct. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think this one, this latest version is pretty good, actually. It's better than what we've been able to pull off before. So I think the content is good out there. Um, you know, we have a YouTube channel, People Productive. We have a lot of shows there. People can go get tons of information. Um, you know, that's really the best way to find us, to be honest with you. We have, you know, we're on LinkedIn. We're everywhere, of course. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. And I'll link that in the show notes along with some of your podcast as well. Um, but Frank, thank you so much for the time today. Uh, and it was a pleasure. Keegan, nice, nice meeting both of you. You as yeah. well, Frank. Thanks so much. Appreciate you guys having me on.